BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Yeah, all right, all right. How many people? This is your very first con. Okay, and how many people have never been to a con before? Completely different set of hands. You put a trick question. Yes, I did. This is the kind of jokes we get away with on the show. <laughs> so how many people are here because you're just fans of Walt Disney? So, ooh, a Walt Disney thing. Most of you. Is there anyone who is here because they've actually ever heard of the Neverland podcast before? Like Philip almost counts. Yeah, we got a guy back there. Yay, I got one. We did better last year. Well, a couple of you. Awesome, okay. Uh, I've got the Kahoot ready to throw up. Uh, All right. You said if I fling it over there, it'll die. There we go. There it is. Hooray! Now I want to full screen this puppy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're not doing a Teemo. We're going to do it individually. There is no sound coming out. Why don't I have any sound? Do I not have speakers? Because we have videos and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Kahoot.com. There's also an app. Um, oh, wow. It's already playing some video. That's interesting. I didn't know I was going to do that. Uh, so I don't have a complete head count, so I'll just let you all get yourselves in there. Kahoot. Yeah, I guess dot .it. Dot .it. And I'm going to get myself into the Google Slides or waiting. Yeah, uh, yeah, the game pin is that number right there. Try to use a name that I'm going to be able to find you because I have to go by an honor system on who which one of you wins to make sure nobody's, you know, conning me here. And I'm going to see if I can get audio. I, I lost our techie. All right, I do all my own stunts. Woo! <laughs> all right, I'm awesome. Okay, source auto menu. I have never worked one of these things before. So actually, I had a uh, very well-received documentary that I made on Marceline, Missouri, where Walt Disney's boyhood home is, that I actually just uh, played at UCM during a red carpet event. It went over very well. Everybody liked it. It made me happy. Well, if worse comes to worse, I can probably get YouTube playing. From there, and we can yeah. hover it over to microphone. <laughs> we might just have to do that. But we can at least get rolling here. If I move this microphone over, now y'all can hear me. There we go. Maybe we should be having this plugged in. That looked like it's got a sound cord on it. What is this? I don't know. Okay, but there, now everybody can hear and I'm not having to yell. But we better go ahead and get this. As we've got only 16 of you. I think there's more than 16 of you in here. Is everybody logged in who wants to play in the trivia? 
because I've got to get rolling. Everybody's in? We're good? Alrighty, and I get to hit start. Alright, there are 10 questions. Let's see what you know about Walt Disney's early life. Where was Walt Disney born? And there are your possible answers. This is one of those things that are tricky. It gives you about 30 seconds, I think, to answer each question. I've got 16 answers, 17 answers. Six, five, four, three. three. Oh, everybody oh. has answered. Yes, correct and, and answer. Hermosa, Illinois, just outside of Chicago is where he was actually born. And yes, a lot of people do think he was born in Marceline. Not the case. Next question. Oh, here's, here's our current leader, Robbie. You're doing good so far, buddy. All right. <laughs> not Carmen San Diego. I think I know who that is. Oh, that's not you. <laughs> Didn't I say somebody else starts? Okay, anyway, next question. When Walt was five years of age, his family moved to what town? I expect 100%. <laughs> that's kind of what the music sounds like normally. <laughs> oh, well, that's better than my uh, uh, Jeopardy music I was going to come up with. <laughs> sure. Let's see, am I? Oh, there we go. I'm going to see if I can pull the slides up while it's going. Time is up. Some people thought Hollywood, California, and some people thought Kansas City. Ooh, we're, we're going to get some good education. You're going to love this. All right, are we, are we got techie people who maybe can help me get sound from the computer? Okay, awesome. Hopefully they get it before we start the Google Slides. All right, about 11 of you knew Marceline, Missouri. That is fantastic. Good job. All right, the Joker jumps into the lead. Follow that guy. <laughs> All right, while looking after his sister Ruth, Walt developed a fascination with... I think my buddy Philip back there on the camera knows the answer to this one. Copyrighted. Copyrighted. Copyright. Copyright. <laughs> Good job. 14 of you knew to DeBalsa. Loving trains. That is awesome. He actually used to go. There's a train station there in Marceline, Missouri. They have actually built a museum there. And you can actually see where Walt used to like and watch the trains go by. The Joker, still rocking it. The Disney family moved to Kansas City, Missouri, where Walt worked for his father delivering. This is something we're going to talk about today. Don't give the answers out loud. You're trying to win, remember? I don't have an app. Oh, okay. Uh, well, at least you know in your head that you've, you've, you've won. You could get the app. Well, I guess you're kind of late now. Alrighty, but only one of you. One, delivering milk, that's a good guess. Because it is delivering something, and back then they used to deliver milk. All right, Robbie comes back to the lead. Good job, Robbie. Right. That's what I got. Clearly, that's you. <laughs> Walt fought in which war? There, I didn't answer for. I wonder how many people we're going to get on this one. This is going to be fun. It wasn't the Battle of 1812, was it? <laughs> he fought in the Civil War, you know. 1812. <laughs> Three seconds, two seconds, one second. <clears throat> Drove an ambulance for the Red Cross, was too young to actually join the military in World War I. He actually even lied about his age. We're going to get into that later, too. Let's see. Oh, yeah, World War I. Uh, eight of you, at least we're in the right area of things. Two of you got it right. I'm proud of you. Let's see. Robbie's still up there. Woo, by two points. All right, so who did Walt meet while working at Pesman Rubin Art Studio that went into business with him? This is stuff that, you know, I should have done the quiz at the end, but I was afraid we wouldn't have time. Because mm. we're going to talk about this. I 
Alrighty, so nine of you knew of iWorks. Good job. Chronophage from out of nowhere. They pulled a Randy Orton. That's what that was. Some of you are going to get that joke. Philip got that one. All right. All righty, I'm going to try to work the sound while you're... Uh... Virginia Davis was one of Walt's first stars. What series did she star in? Virginia Davis was a local. Uh, I think, was, was she from Kansas? Well, I think we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Ooh, we've got three of you that knew about the Alice comedies. I've switched the sound over to the uh, laptop here, but I'm not getting anywhere. Maybe I plugged into the wrong thing. We're just gonna keep going with the quiz, brother. And we'll just keep going. Yeah. All right, Robbie, back in there. Wow, nice, nice hefty lead, Robbie. Good job. What successful cartoon character was taken from Walt by some really dirty, low-down, thieving people from another company that still exists today? One of the larger media companies actually in the world right now. This character was actually reacquired by Disney recently. They traded him for, uh, I almost said Al Simmons, but that's Spawn. Uh, Al Michaels. Yeah. Yes. We need sound, brother. Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Wow, 12 of you. I'm... All right. That's because so many people don't know about Oswald. I, I'm, I'm loving this audience already. You guys are doing good. Go, Robbie! Look at him go! My goodness. Mickey Mouse was introduced with sound in what famous cartoon? I bet you're all going to know this. Was it the actual first Mickey cartoon ever made, but it was the first one released to the public, and Walt wasn't happy about releasing it until he had sound on it. But I actually had the very first Mickey Mouse cartoon listed on there, but don't get fooled. Because it wasn't released until later. Good job! Right. Steamboat Willie! Do I need to switch the sound thing back over? Because I switched it to the computer. Let me get them on the next question. Uh-oh, I lost my mouse. There it is. All right, Robbie, Robbie still leading it. Good job, Robbie. What was known as Disney's Folly? This is some later years. This is after he's big. Something that they never thought was actually going to work, but it did. All right, six of you knew Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. They called it Walt's Folly because no one had ever done that before. No one's going to watch a cartoon for an hour and a half, but we do. We love Snow White. If you, haven't, if you don't love it, you've probably just never seen it, right? Am I right? Because it's good. Granted, I only love it best when the dwarves show up because the dwarves, they steal that movie. Snow White's a little bit cheesy for me. Where's my cursor? There it is. All right. And our winner, Robbie. Woo! All right, Robbie, you may approach the bench. Hopefully you don't already have a copy of this Tarzan Blu-ray digital DVD and everything. Awesome. Our big winner. We're hoping we're going to get sound. Yeah, good job, Robbie. Did I plug into the right place? Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper. And it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers. Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm gonna have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith. 
trust. Well, if it isn't the star-spangled man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Well, this is normally our opening theme here, uh, but it is not playing. I'm going to just go and do the best we can without being able to hear anything. I cannot play Eric's... Eric's got his own theme music that was actually created by... Uh, the Skywalking Through Neverland. Yeah, Skywalking Through Neverland. I forgot their composer's name. Um, Rob Dellinger. Rob Dellinger, who actually is in a band that plays in Disneyland, and he's done a little thing. Eric Warren. Eric Warren. Eric, 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 Eric Warren. Eric Warren. Oh, I heard the air on. I thought maybe we were actually finally had our sound working. Okay, well, there is our logo. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, my name is Jeremy. They call me the Spider Pan because everybody in Neverland, if you're a Lost Boy, you have a nickname. But I am the guy in charge, so I am the Pan, and I'm love, I love Spider-Man, so I'm the Spider Pan. Lost Boy Eric here. He's become like the full-time co-host -co most of the time. We don't always get him on that. <laughs> he has kids, so it works. It's, hey, it's hard yeah. to get on all the time. Yeah. But uh, we call you Lost Boy Retlaw, don't we? Yes, yes. Where do you think Retlaw comes from? Any guesses? Yes, exactly. It's Walter exactly. Let me see. Oh, is this one working? All right. There you go. Yes, it comes from uh, Walter. I actually used to work for a TV station that at one time was owned by the Retlaw Broadcasting Company, which itself was owned by the Disney family. So, Retlaw. So, very awesome. Spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. Now, you know, we usually like to cover some news on the podcast, and uh, the very, I guess, interesting bit of news that we would want to talk about is Johnny Depp showing up in Disneyland on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Did y'all see this video? Would you have just not fallen out of your boat? <laughs> Yeah, I, I bet there's security people waiting to tackle you if you dare to touch the, the, the depth. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to see if I get audio to play when I do it this way. I don't know. Can I do it? Present all this? Oh, well, yeah, if I hit that button, maybe. Can I get some sound? Whatever. But, you know, hey, Eric, you know what's even cooler than Johnny Depp being at Disneyland and meeting him? Us being here? Us being here and meeting all of you. <laughs> Woo! Which is awesome. Okay, no, I'm gonna work my button to click this out. I can't see it down there. I think it's right. That looked like a forward button. I can't see it under the thing. Walt ah. Disney, Kansas City, hooray! Which, there was gonna be some really great video that you're not gonna be able to hear the audio of, so I'm going to pretend you can hear it. Uh, well, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got it ready to go here. Oh, you've got it ready to yeah. cue it up. All right, this will be a little bit out of sync, but it'll be awesome, okay. I grew up in Marceline, and from my earliest memories of Marceline, I felt loved and taken care of. And I think Walt felt that same when he lived here. Uh, it's a magical place to grow up. Our kids still ride their bicycles everywhere. I had a pony that I got to draw, ride anywhere I wanted. And I can't think of a better place to grow up.
the greatest gift that Walt Disney ever gave this community is to tell the world that he loved Marceline. The reason I stepped foot in this city was not for this museum. It was to experience why Walt Disney was in love with Marceline. And I wanted to walk on the same sidewalks, and I wanted to breathe the same air, and I wanted to see what Walt Disney saw in this community that engaged him so much. And it's the people, and I sense it still to this day. The people are tremendous in this community. They, they embrace and they support each other. And I believe that that's what Walt saw in this community too. And for him to, on a public, a very public stage, utilize Walt or utilize Marceline as a springboard for stories in film and television and in theme parks, it, it is powerful to me. Actually, it was Walt's little sister who decided that she wanted her things in Marceline. And so she called me, her son called me after she passed away and said, you know, mom wants you to have her stuff. And I go, what stuff are we talking about, Ted? He goes, we'll come out and see. So I thought there'd be enough things for an exhibit at City Hall. It turned out there were 3,000 artifacts that she wanted to come to Marceline. So that was what started us, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been a long haul, but we're in our 16th year of the Walt Disney Hometown Museum, and we literally have people from all over the world come here to see where it started. This is my second time coming to Marceline. I came in 2015. I was a member of the Walt Disney World Traditions team, and we were celebrating our uh, 60 years of the entire Traditions program. So in celebration of that, I decided to come back to see where the magic truly started. So I came, I got to see the Dreaming Tree still standing. I visited the museum, met Kay Mallins and Inez Johnson, fantastic people. And I always said I wanted to go back, and I've just been so privileged to come back now as a Walt Disney World ambassador. When I was eight years old is the first time I met Walt Disney and he came here to dedicate the Walt Disney swimming pool and park and he stayed with my family. And I, people always ask what I remember most about Walt Disney and I remember mostly that I thought my opinion had value to him. He would ask me a question and I felt like he was truly listening and what I said was important. Every time Disney came back to Marceline, he brought a gift. So the first time he came back, he brought a film. He brought the great locomotive chase. And he played it for 24 hours, and everyone in the community came and experienced it, and it was lovely. Uh, he dedicated the pool. Uh, every single time he came back, right to the last gift that he gave Marceline, which was Midgetatopia. I mean, he took a ride out of the theme park and set it up in his boyhood hometown. When Marceline built a new school and named it after Walt Disney, not only did Mr. Disney bring some playground equipment to the school, but he also brought a rare orange Mickey Mouse flag where only two exist. The other one flies proudly at Disneyland over the firehouse where Walt had his secret apartment. He also had one of his artists come and paint murals on the walls of the elementary school, including the gymnasium. You can still see the school today, but you're probably not going to be allowed inside to look at the murals. Never ever give up, and it doesn't work one way, try it another way. And I truly think he got that from his dad. I think Elias gets a bad rep for being kind of a, a hard guy, but Walt learned the lessons from him that you never give up.
So how many have actually gotten a chance to visit Marceline? So we have, oh, of course, the guy who won, he knows is Marceline. Uh, so yeah, I've made pretty good friends there with Kay Mallage and some of the people at the museum. It is a beautiful museum. Last year at Planet Comic Con, they came down and we had a nice program about that. I think maybe at Kansas City Comic Con, I need to do a repeat of that. So we'll see about that. But now see, Walt had an idyllic childhood in Marceline. It was his formative years, he was carefree. His only responsibility on the farm was to look after his baby sister, Ruth. So they were free to do whatever he wanted. He went and he looked at the trains and they would sit under that dreaming tree and he would make up stories for Ruth and tell stories. And Ruth would say that, oh, he always told the best stories. And so suddenly everything's upheaved and uh, you know, Marceline celebrates their history of Walt and they rightly should. That was very formative for here. But in Kansas City, we seem to almost forget about the time here, and I've got video on this one too, but I think we'll skip because um, we're, you know, I've only got 25 minutes left. But all right, so this is the home here on Bellefontaine where the Disney family in June of 1911 relocated. Hello, Neverlanders. It's your spider pan, Jeremy, host of the Neverland podcast, and I wanted to show you all something with my upcoming panel. This house is a very significant house. Anybody know why? And you might notice there's a fountain out here or a little statue thing of Mickey Mouse. There's Mickey Mouse up actually in the window here. This is the house after the Disney family left Marceline when they came to Kansas City and Walt had his paper route actually around this neighborhood. This is the house they lived in. Uh, I thought there was a more of a marker that I could show you. I've seen photos where there's like a little sign indicating it. Uh, but as it is, they just have some pictures. But this was the house. There's a family that lives in there right now. They got some Mickey symbols. Uh, but that's the house. Walt's fun childhood is gone at this point, uh, which we have a, wait, I guess my cursor should be in the right place already, so if I just click it. There we go. And can you even read these from here? Yeah, sure, I can, read, well, I can read it from here. Walt and his older brother Roy worked a newspaper route for the Kansas City Star and Kansas City Times that Elias, their father, had purchased. Childhood was over for Walt. He would rise early to deliver papers before school at Barton. Benton. Oh, Benton. <laughs> Benton. Ah. Name for Thomas Hart Benton. Okay. A local artist you're all probably familiar with. Benton Grammar School and then deliver the evening edition after school. In 1916, Walt begins attending art classes on Saturday mornings at KC Art Institute at age of 14. And in 1917, he begins selling concessions for Van Noy News Agency at Union Station. Which was really cool for him because he liked being near the trains. Uh, and some websites I looked at mistakenly saying that he was working for Santa Fe, and I was thankfully corrected by some people of the thankyouwaltdisney.org, which uh, these flyers that we passed out, they actually have a booth here you can check out. Uh, now the, the interesting thing with a childhood is Walt wasn't really a great student because he would fall asleep in class. The poor kids wore out. And if you saw Saving Mr. Banks, uh, you have a nice little scene where he talks about, you know, oh my goodness, it was cold and the, the snow would be so high and I still had to tromp out there and deliver the papers. And so that's part of where, where Kay's talking about how Elias Disney, his father, gets such a hard rap uh, because life wasn't easy and Walt had to work. And, you know, you could, you could criticize Elias for that, but Walt learned a lot from that hard work and he learned he doesn't give up. And there's a lot of things that he failed at or people said that it was impossible. This is going to be folly. He pushed on and he did it. He always defied the odds. So that's a lesson he learned here in Kansas City. You know, if I may, before we uh, leave his boyhood here in Kansas City, 
A couple of my favorite things that I've learned about the life of Walt while he was living here is that uh, it really did serve as inspiration for some of the things that came along later in life. It was here that he saw a silent uh, film about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, a silent film about Peter Pan, a silent film about Alice in Wonderland. And that really stirred his imagination and certainly impacted some of the choices that he made much later in life. Uh, again, one of my favorite stories is he had a good friend that he went to school with. They would enter into talent shows. One of those shows um, came after he had seen Charlie Chaplin comedies. And he had found this old battered derby and a jacket and a cane. And he did a pretty good impression and won a prize as Charlie Chaplin. Again, something that happened right here during his school days in Kansas City. You think that might be why he grew that mustache? Could be. Could be. We don't know. <laughs> But all right, so they, they eventually they did leave the Kansas City area and they went back to live in Chicago where Walt attended McKinley High School. Uh, so of course, so he's about, about 16, 17 around about this time. He's, and he's not really that well, that far along. Some of the dates that I got I think are a little funky because he would have, I thought he had added up to 17 when he was working before, but around the age of 16. Now he wants to go and fight in World War I. He's got a couple of brothers that went into World War I, but he's too young. But his mother actually helped him fudge his age so he could join the Red Cross so he could go and drive that ambulance. And as you see, it's kind of hard to see in this picture, but you see, Walt drew pictures on the side of his ambulance, and some of the other drivers would pay him to draw pictures on the side of their ambulance because they loved it so much. So already you see, you know, even as a boy, he was selling pictures he drew of a horse to a local farmer. But there he is, he's finding ways to make money in drawing. So he's still nursing that career even you know, as he's gone to Chicago. Uh, but eventually, after he spends nine months in France, he comes back, not to Chicago, where his family's at, but to Kansas City. You want to deal with this one? Yeah. In the fall of 1919, Walt returns and gets a job with uh, Pessman Rubin Commercial Art Studio as an apprentice artist. He drew advertisement illustrations for theater programs and catalogs. And it was there that he met and befriended Ub Iwerks. However, they were laid off in January of 1920. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Now, following that, they briefly formed the Iwerks Disney Company, but they're unable to gain any customers. Walt leaves to work for the Kansas City Slide Company, while Iwerks joins him later. All right, now I noticed a lot of you are familiar with Ub Iwerks. Ub stuck around for a good long time with Walt. Uh, and uh, how many of you have seen the Skeleton Dance cartoon? Because that's all Ub Iwerks. He was known as one of the greatest animators who ever lived. He actually animated a lot of those early Mickey Mouse cartoons. And he had his own kind of unique style. He would kind of do like these things on Mickey's eyes, like he had these extra eyebrows kind of underneath. If you see like Ub's drawings of it, which is kind of a little bit different. But yeah, Ub is awesome. But here's the KC Slide Company. And these photos, by the way, are I did get from the Walt Disney Hometown Museum. Uh, and of course, they, so they're working together as cartoonists. Now, I haven't figured out what stop action animation is. I don't know if it's similar to stop motion, but they were working in the type of animation and making these commercials. Uh, now, I did find some sources that also called this the Casey Film and Ad Company, and when I asked so many experts who's written some, some biographies of Walt Disney, they said that it actually is the same company. It did, it did come under a different name. But it's in here that Walt starts getting interested in animation. He finds something new to do with his art. And when he gets home, He's starting to experiment with things, and he starts really liking cell animation, which of course is now the big way to go, other than you know computers. But you know, cell animation was the biggest thing. But while he's there, he's going to meet Fred Harmon, Hugh Harmon, Rudolf Ising, and Carl Starling. 
Now, some of, these, some of these names may not be coming familiar. I had a video that was going to talk about all these people, but we might as well just tell you all. Carl Stalling is the one I think is going to jump out for you. You all like Bugs Bunny, right? Now, you've watched some of those cartoons, and you might see music by... Carl, Carl Stalling. Stalling! Yes! So Carl Stalling ended up doing... He ended up working eventually with Warner Brothers, doing all these great music. Now, typically what he liked to do, he would get some classical compositions, and he would play with it and find ways to integrate it in there into the, the Looney Tunes cartoons. But uh, yeah, so a lot of these people moved on. Um, I, oh, one, one thing about Carl Stalling, he worked here in Kansas City as a the, uh, theater organist. That's how he came to be in contact with Walt Disney and with the ad company. Yeah, I think he was playing music for the ads, wasn't he? Exactly. Yeah. Now, I always forget which one of the Harmons, it might have been both of them, but they joined eventually with Rudolph Ising and created a company called Harmon Ising. Well, you got somebody who knows that, right? Oh, yeah. It was Hugh. Yeah, because yep. I always forget if it was just Hugh or Fred. Because Fred Harmon, I think, did some things later. Well, if anyone's ever heard of a Red Rider carbine action BB gun, he had something to do with that. He was actually the artist, uh, became the artist, who did the Red Rider comic strip. Yep. But uh, see, the Harmon Ising, I'm thinking, are they the cartoons that had like the, the you know, the Jack in the Box kind of head? Or no, those are Harvey tunes. Yes. Okay, but the harmonizing, because I know I know those cartoons. Har I think they mainly did stuff with MGM. Uh, they um, they began, point. they were the first animation uh, producers for Warner Brothers Animation, the very earliest Looney Tunes. We're talking uh, Porky Pig, uh, Daffy Duck. Um, Back when Daffy Duck was funny. Yeah. Egghead, <laughs> rather than... Uh, Elmer Fudd, yeah. and they were there pre-Bugs Bunny, so a lot of what they did was very foundational uh, to what became the Warner Brothers cartoons that we know, but uh, as soon as they got that studio up and running, Warner Brothers kicked them out, but MGM came along and said, hey, we want to start our own animation studio as well. They got going there. They uh, helped get a couple of guys named... Uh, William Hanna and Joseph Barbera involved uh, with uh, some Tom and Jerry cartoons. They brought mm -hmm. over Tex Avery. And uh, they certainly have a very strong legacy in animation. Yeah, and even Walter Lance, creator of Woody Woodpecker and a lot of other different characters, really credits Walt Disney's early start there in Kansas City, although Walter Lance didn't work here. But you can really look at Kansas City as being a birthplace of a lot of our great animation. And if perhaps the company that we're about to talk about had gone further, we would might be the central hub of animation right here. But uh, things are not going to work out so well. The Laugh-O-Gram Studios, and well, I'm going to let the video at least play a little bit. You're not going to be able to hear it. Um, I've got a few seconds. This I actually filmed last year before my panel. This, if you go down here. Okay, Neverlanders, oh. I've got another great stop here. This is your spider pan, Jeremy. Uh, right here outside of the original Laugh-O-Gram Studios here in Kansas City. The building's still here. It's not really the nicest neighborhood out here anymore. But this was Walt Disney's studio before uh, it went under. And he went uh, over to Union Station, got himself a first-class ticket to California. Even though he's low on money, here we are. This is the studio. I'm kind of up close. You see there's a lot of uh, thank yous from a lot of different cartoonists. It's not really safe for me to cross the street right here. There's a lot of traffic behind me. But, uh, yeah, this is it. Now, if you go further down the road, my goodness, there's even that Ziggy up here. A lot of great thank yous. Uh, there is work to try to restore this building. I don't know how well you can hear me as I'm trying to record this. But uh, this is it. Right here, 
1127 31st Street. Over here, I parked over here off of Forest Avenue. But this is the building where the Alice comedies were made. One of them. Something to note about the Laughagram Studios is this is where Walt had a mouse apparently in his drawer and he kept it around. And that was the inspiration for Mortimer Mouse, which later became Mickey thanks to Lillian's interference. Also, when they did leave the Laughagram Studios, that is when Walt partnered with his brother Roy, who was better at managing finances. And so when they went together to form the Disney Studios, which formed in a garage in California, I believe at a relative's house, but I might be mistaken. If I am wrong, please someone do correct me in the comments. But that is when they formed the Disney Studios with Roy at the finances, making sure that they did not go bankrupt again. So the Lampogram Studios, so he gets in there with uh, with um, iWorks. Uh, I'm going to let this go without any, any uh, audio here. Uh, we can just kind of talk about that. But he starts working in animation now. The Lampograms themselves, they actually would show uh, in a nearby theater called Isis. I know Isis has a completely different meaning for us these days, but it was an Isis theater. It is unfortunately not there any longer. But they, would, they were commentating on a lot of the news of the day from the Kansas City Star. They would do a little cartoon kind of, kind of satirical about a lot of things. And then Walt would like to experiment with having live actors inside of animation. And so he developed some of the ideas. Like right here, you see here he is a live character. And he's showing that's little Virginia Davis, who would later become the main Alice in the Alice comedies. Which he managed to get one made just to sell it which uh, will be on the next screen here. It's kind of some cute little animation you see that he did. Just experimenting. But, uh, okay, so there we go. So, yeah, made short films at the Isis Theater. In September 1922, he actually got a contract with Pretorial Clubs, and he was able to produce six. And then he did six fairy, fairy tale cartoons, and then eventually pitched the Alice comedies with Virginia Davis to Margaret J. Winkler in New York. However, the Laughagram went bankrupt, and so he couldn't produce them here. So he moves to California and has to write some letters back to Virginia Davis's mommy and say, can I borrow your little girl? We want to make these because we've got a contract. We're actually going to finally make some money. And that's where things start to kind of move in the right direction uh, in California. But uh, that's, of course, when he uh, sets up a deal with Universal to create Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, completely Walt's creation. But Universal claimed that they had complete rights on it, and they took the character away from him. It wasn't nice. Um, I guess I can skip all these. I got like a final video where they talk about some of the nice influences of all the different animators that like we've talked about uh, that Walt worked with uh, and how this Kansas City really does have great foundations in the history of animation and hand-drawn stuff and some, I think, better animation. I like some computer animation, but there's something special to me always about those hand-drawn ones. I mean, when you look at that opening scene of the original animated Beauty and the Beast, it's beautiful. And that to me is more artwork than anything you do. I mean, Tangled looks great. And I, you know, I love Tangled. But it doesn't feel as artistic as those hand-drawn. And the, even the way they would animate water, like the waterfalls, that is one of my favorite opening shots. Well, really, a lot of the opening shots in those Disney ones, because they, you know, they developed the, uh, the plane camera. Multi-plane camera. Multi-plane camera. Where they could do so many different things and layer the picture and move stuff across. I mean, when you watch stuff like Bambi, I mean, it still blows my mind when you see that. So. 
I'm always going to be an advocate for hand-drawn animation. Just yeah, my Phillips thumbing up some thumbs upping me back there. Uh, but to, 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 and a lot of us here in Kansas City, we don't realize how much history we have in hand-drawn, and all the stuff that we came to enjoy later is here. Our history needs to really be celebrated, which is why if those of you who have seen these flyers, and you can find their booth upstairs, the, the thankyouwaltdisney.org, they have rebuilt, as you can see, the building where the lapograms were created. And at, at one point, it had no roof. I mean, it was really in bad shape. There were uh, homeless people uh, using it to relieve themselves, which I think they still have that problem. They're still, I think uh, we were talking to Becky upstairs, she said it was about, uh, about five million that they still need to raise. They're wanting to make it an animation learning center. So, you know, maybe schools could bring children in and learn about animation, maybe learn how to animate and keep hand-drawn animation alive in some form. Because even uh, the Disney company, uh, some of their latest ones, like y'all saw Paper Man, right? You know what I'm talking about, won an Oscar. It's done in the style of hand-drawn because they've learned, even though we can do it on computer, the hand-drawn style is not, it's, it's still beautiful. We still love it. Princess and the Frog, I'm so glad they made it. All right, I got 10 minutes. Yep, thank you. I, I'm, loving, I'm loving your timer over here. Uh, so yeah, this one of the things we really need to learn and appreciate here in Kansas City is that we are a birthplace of so the, the great hand-drawn animation from Warner Brothers, the MGM, even the people who did start here like Walter Lance still credits Walt Disney. Because uh, I love me some Woody Woodpecker and I really hope, Have you all seen Woody Woodpecker cartoons? Because I, 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 if I ever have kids, I don't, I'm afraid they're never going to get to see Woody Woodpecker. Because it's gone! I love this old stuff. I wonder if I have any other slides here I can show. No, I guess that was my last one. I, can we get to the audio of this one? Because this is really so good. Yeah, yeah, let uh, me pull I it up. Time. I was afraid I was running out of time. And everybody's already leaving. Don't go away, this is a great video. So, okay. all right, we hit it the same, go. Walt Disney uh, moved here as a young boy. His father moved to Kansas City in 1909 uh, with the fam, brought the family so that he could uh, have a Kansas City Star uh, paper route. He went to the Benton grade school at 31st and Benton. He went to Central High School over at, uh, you know, very near that neighborhood. It is incredible how many of the crucial pioneers of the development of Hollywood animation came right out of the Truce neighborhood. And of course, Walt Disney is, is by far the best known. Among the people that worked with Walt Disney was Ub Iwerks, who was later regarded as the greatest animator who ever lived. Ub, or Ubi, as he was originally called, was uh, the son of Dutch immigrants, and he was this incredible talent. And Walt had this incredible enthusiasm, so he decided they should start a cartoon company. They finally started what was called the Laughagram Studio over at 31st and Forest. They put this ad in the paper and they said, if you'd like to be a cartoon animator, come down to Laughagram Studios and we will give you a job as a cartoon animator. Well, to 18-year-olds, this was fascinating. And it was a bunch of 18-year-olds that answered the call. With that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of talent in UB, they had some great names come. Hugh Harmon and Rudolph Ising, uh, they were two of the greatest talents that came there. They worked on some of the earliest Disney films out in Hollywood, but they were lured away by Warner Brothers, who wanted to begin an animation division. And indeed, Hugh Harmon and Rudy Ising were the very first animators who worked for Warner Brothers. They left Warner's after that shop was set up. They were lured away by MGM, who was starting their animation division. And again, Hugh Harmon and Rudy Ising became the very first animators to work doing animation for Metro-Golden-Mayer. And they started Tom and Jerry, and they worked and trained two very young animators into them, Hannah and Barbara. You have 
Carl Stalling, who was the organist at the Isis Theater, who was an investor in Laugh-A-Gram. Disney worked out with Stalling how to not just play music while you watch the movie, but to coordinate the sound effects, to coordinate the music with the action on the screen precisely. And that is something no one else had done. Fritz Freeling. Fritz Freeling did not work with them, but they knew him. Uh, so they recruited Fritz Freeling out. And of course, he would go to Warner Brothers and become one of the key animators. Virtually the entire Hollywood animation industry can trace its roots to the Laugh-O-Gram studio on 31st and Forest Streets. Here's Walt Disney, not really a particularly talented cartoonist and not a really particularly talented businessman, but he'll always be known as the greatest cartoon businessman in the history of all time. And that's probably because he understood how to take the talents of people around him. Bob Iwerks as a cartoonist, his brother Roy is a businessman, but he brought them together. The important thing is that people who have the potential to become the next Walt Disney receive the opportunity to demonstrate that talent and to cultivate that talent and to, and to indeed uh, go on to create great things just as Walt Disney did. There are other Walt Disneys out there. If they get the encouragement they need, then we will all benefit tremendously. Yes, definitely some very good stuff. But so have pride in your home here in Kansas City, especially if you love animation, because there's so much to look to of, of just the beginnings of animation. Uh, but uh, that's we're kind of wrapping this up here. So if you all have not listened to the show before, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music. I, I'm about everywhere. Uh, with Neverland Podcast, if you search for NeverlandPodcast.com, you can find our website about all the stuff we we mainly cover Disney, but we like to branch out uh, because we, you know, I grew up loving He-Man. I just bought a really great He-Man shirt out there. So yeah, I kind of have a. It's going to be on one of our shows. I had my, my nice little geeky girly squee that I when when I saw this uh, He-Man shirt. <laughs> so it was bad, but I was I was mic'd up. So that, but that's kind of the fun. We were just people, you know, Walt Disney would say that, that a grown-up is just a taller child. So you never want to lose that, that childish bit of youth and that positive attitude. And that is what in Neverland we call our pixie dust, is that young at heart, good attitude. And you can share pixie dust with other people, sometimes in the most simple ways with a smile and a handshake. And so our goal is to share that with other people. That is kind of the, one of the themes I have as we just get together on the podcast. We have fun. We, we get our pixie dust built up, and then we share it with other people. Because, you know, if you've got the heart of a child and the imagination and creativity or whatever it is that you dream of doing as a child, you can achieve it. And you might run into some roadblocks because, you know, I've got no business sense either. And Walt didn't have any business sense. So he found the people who did. And he achieved one of the largest media companies now we have in the world. I don't know if he would necessarily be happy with everything the Disney company has done, but I think he'd also be very pleased with some of the innovations and some of the acquisitions. I think if Walt Disney had seen Star Wars, he'd have been like, we get to buy that? You know, I think he'd love Star Wars. There's a really kind of a fun story I like about Walt that he says uh, when he saw Citizen Kane, which if you all have seen it, it's brilliantly made, but it's depressing as heck. But Walt Disney saw that and, and said, well, darn it, I wish I could make something like that but I'm known for these cartoons. But you know what, we love Walt for knowing, the, for, knowing for these cartoons and the lightheartedness fun that Disney has brought us. So uh, really, you know, it's something we need to take pride here in Kansas City and I really think we need to bug the daylights out of Disney to come and buy Worlds of Fun and make a decent park out of it. I want a Disney park. In fact, Marceline almost had a Disney park. Uh, I got three minutes. Uh, his, he actually bought his old farm with the help of Kay Mallins, the lady, and the other one. Her father helped Walt buy their old farm 
which is why Kay lives on the farm right now, because why wouldn't you? She keeps Walt's room pretty much how he had it. Uh, but there was going to be a park built there, but unfortunately that's when Walt passed away. And on his deathbed, he told Roy, finish the Florida park. And maybe, maybe the Marceline one was going to go by the wayside. So unfortunately, the Marceline park never happened. It was going to be farm-themed because Walt thought, you know, being on a farm and growing up was so great, I want to share this with all the other children. So there's a lot of great Missouri history of Walt Disney. If you haven't gotten a chance to explore it all, uh, Toonfest happens in Marceline in September. It's usually the last weekend. A lot of cartoonists will come in and uh, check it out. There's a great, if you've never been to a small town and watched one of their festival parades, their parade marches down Main Street one direction, turns around and marches back the other way so you can see both sides of it. Uh, the museum is fantastic there. There's a lot of great cartoonists and it's a great chance to visit Marceline and it is magic. I, I go there every year. Now I'm starting to go multiple times every year. Uh, so definitely go visit Marceline over 31st and Forest. As I said, you can see the building, the Thank You Walt Disney building. I forget the address of his home on Bellefontaine. Uh, if you go up to the booth for thankyouwaltdisney.org, they can get you the address. Go check it out and see the house. Uh, it is, it's not quite as magical, but it is kind of cool. Uh, and I believe even in a scrapbook they can show you, they can show you where they know where the paper route was that Walt used to deliver the papers. So it's a great bit of Missouri history and it really has changed the world. And you can say definitely started in Marceline, but Kansas City definitely had a role to play. So I think that's all I got to say about it. Um, can I step down off my soapbox now? <laughs> so, anything you want to add? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, any history of Walt Disney will certainly point out the crucible that living in Kansas City was for him. Um, he certainly had some of his darkest times, uh, both having to get up that early in the morning and trudge through the snow to deliver those papers to have bill collectors banging on the door uh, when you don't have the money to provide it, to be so poor that he can't even afford a cup of coffee and has to rely on the charity of the people and the businesses around him to help support him. Th those were tough times. Those were very difficult times, but they certainly refined him. Yeah. And he did not give up. Exactly. There's a really great one. Another, another one of my heroes other than Walt Disney, Ronald Reagan, is John Wayne. And there's a great billboard I always like to pass by. It says, don't light much quitters, son. So that's grit. And so I remember that. I'm not going to quit. Because <laughs> you, you're always going to stumble on stuff, but you know, Walt Disney kept going, so I will too. But thank you so much for coming. This thank is great. You so much. So, thank you. This is your Neverland story time. You can listen along with your MP3 device. You will know it is time to listen when you hear the chime like this. Let's begin now. This is a Disneyland original little long playing record, and I am your story reader. I am going to begin now to read the story of The Pirates of the Caribbean. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when Tinkerbell rings her little bells like this. Let's begin now. Let's take a trip back into time, back to the days of the Pirates of the Caribbean. We'll board our flat-bottom boat here at the dock and float across the blue bayou. It's early evening. The sun has set and the water is still. The only sounds we hear are those of the crickets and the croaking bullfrogs. Fireflies play hide-and-seek in the reeds near the shoreline. A ghostly warning is heard. 
Dead men tell no tales. Our boat is picking up speed. What's that sound? It sounds like rushing water. It is. Here we go. Right down the waterfall. Oh, my. Wasn't that exciting? Uh-oh. Here we go again. Down another waterfall and into a dimly lit cavern. The air is cool and moist down here. There, on the right, the remains of pirates in their empty treasure chest. I guess their captain didn't want to share the booty. Ahead, we see a ghostly ship still fighting a hurricane gale. A skeleton helmsman lashed to her wheel. In the lightning flash, we can see her empty decks. Our boat slips through the cavern and past a makeshift pub. Amidst the clutter of kegs, empty tankards, and bottles sit two pirate skeletons, still drinking their rum. On the other side of the room, we can see the old captain's quarters. The captain is in his bed reading a treasure map. Next to his room is the treasure cache, a cave full of gold, silver, and jewels. The cave glitters as the light reflects from the precious stones. Our little boat moves through a narrow, low passageway and into a large lagoon. A pirate ship is firing on a fort which protects the seaport village. A captain stands on the deck shouting orders to his gunners. The fort returns its cannon fire. Hold tight, we are sailing down between them. Our boat makes a turn for the protection of the fortified city. It looks as though we're too late. Some of the pirates have already landed and are looting and burning the city. There's the town mayor, clad only in his night clothes. The pirates have him tied up and are dunking him in the well. His wife watches from her window above. Further into the town, we pass a pirate auctioneer, auctioning off a group of village maidens. Sitting all around are pirates waiting to make their bids. We pass under a bridge and see another group of pirates. One maiden is hiding in a large barrel while a plump, red-faced pirate stands bewildered. The town is all in flames as we leave and enter its burning jail. Each cell is full of unhappy pirates who are missing all of the fun. Several prisoners in one cell are trying to get the attention of a little dog who sits just out of their reach with the cell keys in his mouth. Fire and smoldering timbers fall all around us as we float from the dungeon into the burning dynamite arsenal. Two groups of pirates are having a gun battle, and we are right between them. Shots can be heard ricocheting in all directions. Keep your head down. We're going on through. (laughs) 
our boat proceeds up a cascading waterfall and back into the peaceful blue bayou. The dock is just ahead. I hope you enjoyed the trip. A capital ship for an ocean trip was a wallop in window blind. No wind that blew dismayed her crew or troubled the captain's mind. The man at the wheel was made to feel contempt for the wildest blow. Though it often appeared when the gale had cleared that he'd been in his bunk below. Then blow ye winds, I ho, a roving I will go. I'll stay no more on England shore, so let the music play. I'm off for the morning train, I'll cross the raging main. I'm off to my love with a boxing glove ten thousand miles away. mate was very sedate, yet fond of amusement too. He played hopscotch with a starboard watch while the captain, he tickled the crew. And the gunner we had was apparently mad, for he sat on the after rail and fired salutes with the captain's boots in the teeth of the blooming gale. Then blow ye winds, I ho, a robe and I will go. I'll stay no more on England shore, so let the music play. I'm off for the morning train. I'll cross the raging main. I'm off to my love with a boxing glove ten thousand miles away. Life on the ocean wave, a home on the rolling deep, where the scattered waters rave and the winds their revels keep. Like an eagle caged, I pine on the dull, unchanging shore. Who'll give me the flashing brine, the spray and the tempest roar? A life on the ocean wave, a home on the rolling deep, where the scattered waters rave and the winds their revels keep. The winds, the winds, the winds their revels keep. The winds, the winds, the winds their revels keep. A life on the ocean wave, a home on the rolling deep, where the scattered waters rave and the winds their revels keep. Once more on the deck I stand of my own swift gliding craft, set sail farewell to the land, the gale follows far abaft. A life on the ocean wave, a home on the rolling deep, where the scattered waters rave and the winds their revels keep. The winds, the winds, the winds their revels keep. The winds, the winds, the winds their revels keep. We shoot through the sparkling foam like an ocean bird set free, like an ocean bird our home. We'll find far out on the sea A life on the ocean wave A home on the rolling deep Where the scattered waters rave And the winds their revels keep The winds, the winds, 
the winds their revels keep. The winds, the winds, the winds their revels keep. As you can hear, Eric and I had a lot of technical problems as we tried to have our panel at Planet Comic Con 2017 this weekend. But overall, we did have a lot of fun, and it was great having so many people come and attend the panel. And if you were one of the people who attend the panel or are now listening to this show. Thank you for downloading and I hope you continue to download and enjoy our show. Eric and I had a good old time over the weekend. It was great to spend a weekend with him. This is the first time we ever got to meet in person. And the one of the funny things is we reminded me of the goofy gophers from Looney Tunes because we would get to a door and we would try to politely let the other one go first and we could sit there and like, okay, we're never going to get through a door if we keep doing this. So one of us would just have to go ahead and go. And we were lugging around a lot of equipment at the panel. But I want to take a quick opportunity to tell you that I have a brand new merchandise shop through Public. So if you go to Public and you search for the Neverland Podcast, you should find us. Otherwise, go to the website and when you click on shop near the top of the page it will take you to my storefront i have updated with some merchandise with our new logo some of our old logos it's a lot less expensive than it was with spread shirt so you will be able to order some shirts mugs all kinds of different things phone covers stickers whatever you might possibly want and i do get a small amount of uh, money out of each sale which does help keep this podcast going so i would definitely appreciate it if you go there check it out find something you like buy yourself a shirt wear it around and proudly proclaim that you enjoy going to neverland every week with me and tell others about the show and let them join in the fun thank you for listening to the neverland podcast we invite you back next week for more fun and adventure until then remember to keep a pixie in your pocket it's that young at heart positive attitude that you can share with others And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you.